uh, a rabbi, a priest, and a Baptist minister walk into a bar, and the bartender said, what is this, some kind of joke? There was a, there was a, there was a, there was a preacher who was, who was sort of known for uh, being a little long-winded in his sermon, and uh, and he saw uh, he saw one of his deacons sitting in the back of the service, and right after. Um, In the middle of the sermon, he saw him get up and leave. And uh, and then right when it was finishing, just before he finished, he saw him come back and sit back down. And later on, he asked him about it. He said, why? Where did you go? And he said, oh, I went to get a haircut. <laughs> and he said... Uh, I forgot to turn this on. In the middle of the sermon, he, he saw him leave, and he saw him come right, right before the end of the, the message. And so he asked him about it later. He said, where did you go? He said, I went to get a haircut. He said, well, why didn't you do that before the service? He said, well, I didn't need one then. <laughs> Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all your love and grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you love us so much, and thank you that we can partake of your blessed communion while we wait for your return, Lord. Thank you for growing us. So much to grow and know, Lord, in you. We just thank you for that we're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for preparing us in every way to make us strong, true disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke, Lord. Thank you for using me today to touch the lives of anyone, anywhere who hears this message and all of those beautiful children of yours that are here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well... I just got a few new messages just before, just while we were getting ready to start up here, listening to all of you. So I hope I can stay focused. Hallelujah, Jesus. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. While you're getting there, I'm going to read passage of scripture from the 12th through the 14th verse. It says, take care, brothers and sisters, <laughs> lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hallelujah. Notice that Paul calls an unbelieving heart an evil heart. He calls it wicked. And he says that it's the cause of people falling away from God. Their unbelief. So it says to build each other up. I thank God for all of you, and that that's that's how we that's how we are here. Hebrews chapter three. I say Paul, <laughs> but we don't know who the writer of Hebrews was. It was Paul. That's just me, though, but it was Paul. Therefore, holy brothers who who share in a heavenly calling, that's, that's all of us, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things which were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If... Indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And he goes on to say, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like the, like the Hebrews did in the wilderness. He said he was angry with them. He said they always go astray in their heart. They... They've not known my ways. As I swore on my oath, they shall not enter my rest. And we know that that whole generation died out in the wilderness, was not allowed to enter in. So he tells us in verse 12, Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, which we just talked about. And go down to the fourth chapter. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith or because of their unbelief. For we who have believed, raise your hand, have entered that rest. We who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the day. But anyway, and he goes on down and he tells us in verse 11, let us therefore strive 
to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hallelujah. Paul's saying that word, this word, that it's not only is it a lie, which we know that's what we were talking about last week. It's not like reading just a normal book. You read a book one time, you've read it. You know what it says. This book, you read it, the same thing you read the day before, the month before, the year before, says something totally different to your situation, circumstances, to your heart, to you, in your relationship with God uh, on the, a given day, any given day. And with God, there's only one day. It's called today. And it's a gift. That's why we call it the present. Amen. But he starts off, anyway, going back to that 12th verse, talking about the Word of God. It's, it's like a sharp blade that, that can divide even our spirit and our soul. That's hard to do. That's why he says it can even do that. When Samuel says it can even do this, that means you're trying to show how great it is, right? It can even do this hard thing, right? That others can't do. This is the heart of man. The heart of man is a combination of our spirit and soul. And I can prove that and I can teach on that, and I will, <clears throat> because it's important that we understand that. Otherwise, it'll lead to confusion. And I've heard it taught differently by some very great men of God who I respect, and it doesn't change. But, but for now, just believe me <laughs> and search it out. And only God can truly dissect this the difference in our spirit and our soul and revealed to us because that's the reason. There's a reason to dissect the spirit and the soul is to reveal to us, his children, all of our little messy places in our lives that, that he is asking us, wanting to help us to surrender to him so that we can be free and then be conformed to a greater degree to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? John 4.24 says that He told the woman at the well, she talked about going to, the Jews go to this temple and they go to this mountain to worship and He said, now nah, the time is coming. He said, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And there's coming a time when you're not going to go here, there, anywhere. Why? 
Because the Spirit of God has come to live in us if we belong to the Lord. Amen. Now we're that house. Huh? We're that temple. Praise be to God. And we need to learn to, to, to struggle, to endeavor, to enter the rest of God. That means to get to a place where we are, we have entered in and know it to his finished work. So we stop trying to earn relationship with God. We realize we're dead to sin, dead to the world, dead to the law that accused us, dead to self. Free. Free as can be. Free to serve and love and live for the living God. Amen. Amen. You're either going to work to enter his rest or you're going to work at all the rest. And it's much better to endeavor to enter his rest and then work from a position of, the, of rest. Like we say, we're, we're, we're be to do's, not do to be's. Huh? We don't do things to be accepted by God. We have been created righteous and holy, so it's just a natural expression of who we truly are. That temple, we are the temple. I talked about last week. We, we, we have this, this, this surpassing power inside of these jars of clay, these vessels, these earthen vessels, these bodies that we live in. God didn't, didn't change these when we got saved because he didn't want us trying to take his glory. Amen. So we have these earthen vessels for his the, the, the light of Christ to shine through to a sick and dying world. We're left here so that our, our mess can be turned into a message that will in, in turn help others in their mess to, to receive the message and to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we have to, we have to learn to live inside out. We have to live inside out. What, what was the, what was the, the phrase in the new, the new song there? I, I am the temple. I am the temple. I am the temple. You know, Moses, he, he, the Lord showed him in heaven the, 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 real, the real deal. He showed him the real temple. And he created a, a small likeness of it here on the earth. Amen. And now, believe it or not, you're looking at it. <laughs> believe it or not, you look into the mirror and you see it. A mirror image of it. Amen. We have to learn and live inside out, though, and and that's 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 how I want you to understand it. I want you to to, to get this, and you talk to the Lord about it till you see it, and then you can then you will just be it. Understand? You you'll 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 be a be to do. You'll be a be to do because we are the temple of Moses inside out, inside inside out, because. You can't live, you can't live according to the pattern of the temple of Moses because you'll be a do to be. You have to live it backwards, inside out, and be a be to do. Here's what I mean. What what happened when you when when you went when when you went to the temple, there was the outer court, huh? And then you 
I'm not going to go through all the process and the ritualistic religious process, but then you got to the, to the holy place, right? And then enter into the holy of holies, which only one, one priest, the high priest, one, one priest could go in once a year and had to atone for his own sins, and he had to have a rope tied around his leg in case he had un, unrepented sin <laughs> in his life. They had to drag him out because no one could go in and get him, or they had died too. Now the veil has been ripped open. Jesus did that through his life and his atoning sacrifice, and now we've entered into him. And now this temple has become, the, this body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. So our... Uh, our spirit, our born-again spirit, and the spirit of God inside of us, this, this beautiful light of Jesus Christ living in us and through us is the holy of holies, huh? The spirit of God within us, and it has to come through this holy place, this soulish realm, this, this mind and will and emotions. We, we, and there, there's a certain amount of... Uh, uh, of setting our minds and allowing and 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 uh, agreeing with and coming to uh, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and growing in the grace and knowledge so that we can come to represent what we find in this word through the help of the Holy Spirit. And as we come into agreement, then it flows from the Holy of Holies through the holy place and out into this outer court, our body. Amen. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. By Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Hallelujah. But all that healing is in the Holy of Holies, folks. And if you if you got a roadblock here in the holy place, how are you going to get it to the outer court? Huh? we got to break the dam, don't we? you got to break the dam, folks. Hallelujah. Ah. You see, it should be like a like a river flowing, a beautiful, you know, I love nothing more than a beautiful river. I love river rock. I want some for my yard. I, I just love to see a, a, a river just flowing gently in a beautiful stream that just flows, right? There's no obstructions, no dams, no, 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 no nothing hindering. It's just flowing, and that's how it's supposed to be with us. Our life is supposed to be either supernatural or it's superficial. Huh? That's why I love to come and I see us praying and praising God and loving one another because we, we're not going to be some of the, the frozen chosen, you see? Where we just sit in the pew and, you know. <laughs> I don't mean any harm, disrespect. Hallelujah. <sighs> The problem, though, is in our soulish realm, folks. The battlefield of the mind. Amen. And you know, the soul will always try to control. Yeah. The soul will always try to control. You... Boy, I'm trying not to preach somewhere else. I wanted to. Lord, you just have your way, Lord Jesus. Just have your Lord. You see, there, there are, there are evangelical uh, churches, 
you know, praising God. And they actually have, you know, they're not, they not singing the dirges anymore. They're not, oh, one day when we get up yonder. what They have learned to sing New Covenant, New Testament stuff, right? About the victory, about the new man and all that. And they're just as dead as the frozen chosen that mama and them was in. You see? But it's more pleasing to their flesh to go somewhere where they can get their flesh a little more excited. But trying to do a spirit-filled church service from the outer court in is stupid. Your motives. God is God is God is more interested in our motivation, our heart. God looks on the heart. We look on the outer appearance. God looks on the heart. And see, there's issues with pride. Pride and humility. Pride and humility. And pride is a Pride is such an onion, you know? So many layers. So many layers. And I've seen people pray, Lord, just, just make me humble. Just make me humble, Lord. And you know, that's not very scriptural from what I can find in the Bible. Because God says for us to humble ourselves. Yeah. It's the same with patience, folks. Let me tell you what the fruit of the Spirit of God who dwells in you. So if we're, we're, we're comparing the, the Spirit of God to a fruit tree and it lives inside of you, abiding or living within you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Hallelujah. But they have to be exercised like a muscle. A fruity muscle. Fruit of the Spirit. I don't know. That's not a good term. Never mind I said that. Fruit of the Spirit. Get it? But it has to be exercised. So I'm picturing uh, watching Veggie Tales with my granddaughter. <laughs> we love that show. <laughs> See... We have to teach our souls to wait on God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, aren't they? Not those who are led by their own will and emotions apart from God, the soulless realm. No. We have to teach our soul to wait on God or we here's them have to teach our soul to wait or it will always initiate. We must teach our souls to wait or it will always initiate. In other words, if you don't make your mind, your will and emotions Keep them in check. 
if you don't make those come to the obedience of Christ, take every thought captive to the obedience of If you don't wait on God's plan, your soul will take its own initiative and say, I, I, I know, let's do this. Your soul does not want to sit still and wait and see. Be still and know that I am God. Your soul and your flesh do not want that. Listen, folks. I try not to shake out too many wrinkles in one day. I don't want... I see smoke coming out of some ears already. Just what? But listen. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it was the beginning, that was the first day of your life that you had a divided heart. You thought it all came together that day. No. It got better because there wasn't anything good in you before. But before you came to know Jesus and He ushered in, the Spirit of God came in and evicted that Demonic sin nature, that's nature of, of the devil, kicked him out, took up residence, renewed your spirit, and sealed it with the promised Holy Spirit. One third of your salvation is over. Until that day, your dead spirit was in agreement with your dead flesh. You were already dead in your sins and trespasses. So there was no conflict now there is. Because your flesh, you don't have a dual personality. You don't have a dual nature. That's another bad teaching. Some people teach that you have a dual nature. You don't have a dual nature. You have the nature of God. You are a spirit with a soul and a body. Now what we're renewing is this soulish realm. The body is dead. Died with Jesus on the cross. It's going to do whatever your soul does. If you, if, you, if you agree with what it still wants though, because it, it, wants, it wants to feel good. It, it wants pleasure. It wants to go by its five senses. If you agree with that, then you're walking after the flesh. If you agree with the sixth sense, the faith of Jesus in your born-again spirit, then it'll, your body will go that way. Because two against one. When you, whatever your soul agrees with, it's the decider in your life. You can agree with God, or you can agree with the flesh. But, there's nothing compelling you to agree with the flesh anymore. You can't say the devil made me do it. He might have whispered in your ear. But he whispered, he said some things to Jesus too, didn't he? And every time Jesus said, it is written, he answered him with the word of God. And what did it do? The third time, the devil took off, didn't he? He resisted the devil 
and the devil fled from him. The devil wanted the same thing from Jesus that he wants from the entirety of the human race, the entirety of the world. He wanted Jesus to worship him. You know what we call that? There's only really one word that we can sum it up with for the church, and that's witchcraft. Devil worship in all its various forms. I'm talking about every pagan religion and culture in this world. And there's power in praise and, and, and giving glory. And he wants that. You see, he, he tried to usurp authority in heaven and, and, and God said no. And he cast him out. But he's never, he's never repented of his claim. That's why he's still here trying to make everyone and he's not that far from it, folks, in this world. Worship him. But he has given you this power, this light of God, this, this same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That's why you can go into a, a third world country or foreign nation where they... they they, they go to a false temple and they pray several times a day, five times a day to uh, a God who is not a God, a demonic God. And you have no idea the darkness that befalls those entire nations and cultures. And those people need that light that is within you, and that power. But you have to know who you are first. Amen. You have to continue to, what did he say? If we, as long as we continue to hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Our hope, the Christian hope, is a confident expectation of good from God. A knowing that you are a child of God. That your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that you have the power of God. Inside of you. You have, like Peter told Jesus, you have the words of life. Why wouldn't you share them? Let's see. Was I talking about pride and humility? Yeah. I'll just tell you a couple of scriptures I had written down about how Treacherous pride is not to, because I don't think any of you have any problems with it. So we'll just put some reminders out there so you can share it with others that do. That's pride, by the way. <laughs> you ever heard pride come before fall? That's not biblical. No. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit or a haughty look before fall. Yeah. Proverbs 8, 13, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. See, the fear of God for a Christian is not a, a fear of punishment, you see. We've, we've, we've come into 
we've come into Christ. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. The fear of God is a, a reverent awe and love and admiration and respect for your dad who is runs everything in the world, you know, and the universe. You should respect him. Everything good comes from him. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And then he goes on to say, I hate arrogant pride and perverse speech. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, disgrace follows. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 18.12, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Wow. Look at the blessings and the benefits of walking in humility. But again, not talking about false humility. It has to be real and you have to talk to God. You have to, you have to find out what pleases the Lord. Ephesians 5, 10. That means you can. Well, one of the things that I struggled with, because I knew that we all have pride, <laughs> and I, I, uh, I have a lot of testimony that God can use to help others with now, thankfully, because I walked in tremendous pride for a lot of decades of my life. But I struggled, one of the, because I was like Randy, I was... When I came to the Lord, I was just, I was, I, you could not, and I had an insatiable desire for the Word of God. And I was just, every waking hour, I was consuming everything from the Word. And, and I had a problem when I got to Numbers 22 and I saw Balaam there. And I don't want to turn over there because I'll stay. <laughs> but Balaam... There, there was a, there was a, a king that Israel had come against, and uh, and he wanted this Balaam. This he was basically a, wow, warlock, <laughs> I guess. He he would he would curse people and do these things, but he also knew there was a God. But see, that doesn't matter. You can't Jesus plus anything equals what. Jesus plus anything equals nothing, folks. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Okay, so you can't say, oh, I believe in God and I also believe in this and that and the other. He's a jealous God, okay? He's not going to, God's not going to have, you know, he's not going to sit down to dinner with the other devils that you worship and him too. That's like saying Jesus is one of the ways to get saved. Yeah, God came down from heaven after creating all this and we made a mess of it. He came and fixed it and died on a cross just to be one of the ways. Don't think so, folks. But Balaam in chapter 22 of Numbers, verse 20 through 22, God had told him not to go and curse the Israelite army, right? For this king. King of Moab, or right? Anyway, made me go over there, and 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 so he didn't. 
And he told the, the representatives of this guy, I can't do it. I can't do anything God tells me not to. He was smart that far. Anyway, finally, they kept sending more representative, more honor, more treasure, offering Balaam riches and honor, right? Same old tactics of the enemy. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Everything falls into those three categories when it comes to sin. And so Balaam goes back and asks God again. Well, let me let me go. Let me, <laughs> they up the ante. Let me go check with him again. And God, God tells him, "Okay, go ahead and go with him, but only say what I tell you to say." So in the morning he gets up and he goes with these guys, but God was mad at him when he went. And that threw me for a loop. I was like, I, I can't, and I kept trying to read and I kept going back. I was like, let me read it right again. And then I kept, I said, God, I can't get past this. Because it makes me scared of you. Because if you tell me something, it sounds like you're fickle. And God is... God is not, you see, there's nothing wrong with God. And I knew that much. I, so I knew there's something I didn't understand about it. But that's what it is. We look on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. He saw the heart of Balaam. And see, when Balaam left, there was an angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, and he was going to kill him. Thank God this guy's donkey kept going off the road and he, he smashed his leg actually up against the wall, a brick wall or a stone wall and, and he started telling that donkey off and beating him. And he got in trouble for that from the Lord. So don't be beating your donkey. But he said he saved your life because I was going to kill you. His heart was not good. It said in Jude 1.11, in the, the New Covenant, Jude was a brother of Jesus. He has a one-page book in the Bible, and it's just powerful. But in verse 11 of Jude, he says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. You see, he pointed out the heart of Balaam here. Those who desire to be rich can fall into a snare, you see. And his desire, he coveted, he made a, an idol out of riches, you see. God doesn't mind you having things. He don't want them having you. If you're a good steward, that's why if you're faithful and little, he'll give you much. He wants you to have much. He wants you to be have all sufficiency in all things at all times so that you can abound in every good work. You see? But if you realize that, if you have a revelation of that, you'll tell God, pour it on. Just make me a good steward of everything you give me, Lord. But don't ever stop. But just make sure I'm prepared for it. Don't overwhelm me. Don't give me something that I'll destroy myself or my relationship with you over. Just make me a good steward and pour it on, Lord. Let me be a kingdom builder. 
in the meanwhile, you'll you'll be a blessing and you'll be blessed and and all that is good. So I'm not talking against prosperity. I'm a prosperity preacher. I just believe in doing it correctly, which is God's way. What I said last week, I want everything God has for me and nothing else. Amen. Because I believe that God has great plans for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me hope and a future. I believe he's a good God. So I'm not afraid to say, give me everything you have for me and nothing else. Because people go, well, well, here God. But, you know, and you're like, what's that behind your back? You know, that's the thing I really want from you because that's, that's a dam. That's a stronghold. That's a roadblock stopping that river from flowing. Hallelujah. See, Balaam, he, he did this like Cain. He did something that seemed to be good for God. I mean, Cain brought an offering, didn't he? It seemed to be good, but his heart was for greed and selfish ambition. You see, there's people even in church today. You know why I don't preach about your tithes and offerings and all that a lot? I do it because you deserve to know how God gets, gets, gets things to you. Sow a seed towards your need. <laughs> so you need to understand. That's why I teach on the soils all the time and about everything in the kingdom is in seed form. And that's why Jesus taught about money so much is because it's something we understand and we all want it. We realize it's important. Uh-huh. But I don't take half the service ministering the offering. Some people are critical of me for that. But we have a very giving church because I think you see it. And that's when I want you to give because, you see, if, if you, you can give all that you have and it says in First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, the love chapter. He says you can give all that you have, and and if it if it's not motivated by love, it profits you nothing. So I want you to see. I want God to give you a revelation of your giving, because when He has you, because see, Jesus said that your giving is the least. I'll be honest with you now. Jesus said your giving is the, the, the least, the, it's, it's like 101, like it's when you start start new, uh, new uh, academic career <laughs> towards a, a goal of a degree or something, you, something say, you take the 101 class, that's the basic. Jesus said money is the basic thing for you to understand. But there are people, even in the church today, who are big givers, not this church. There are big givers in this church. I'm not finished. These kind of big givers. that They sow to their greed and not to their need. Or to the need of others or to the need of the kingdom of God. You see? And that's why the prosperity message is wonderful. We have a prosperity God. You see? But there are those in some of those same churches I was talking about. That they they doing a 
a spirit-filled, attempting to do a spirit-filled service from the outer court in, you see, and just and just ministering to people's flesh, trying to get the trying to get the goose bumped, trying to get the flesh up, you see. I can I can go I can be invited to a church that's just as dead as can be to minister, and I'm not nothing good in in me of, of myself, but I'm never without Jesus. But I can walk into that church and sit there, and they can sing Old Testament dirges. They can do this. They can try to take me back to the back and pray over me and all that. I say, no, let me just sit out here with the folks. They don't have to prepare the environment and invite the Holy Spirit in. How how wrong is that? I love that song about the Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. It's beautiful. I do that song and I love that song. There are good parts of it, just like almost every Christian song. Even the good ones still have some things that aren't really New Covenant. But you don't have to invite the Holy Spirit to be here. You should walk in here and say, Hey, uh, hey, Pastor Will, just you and me this week, two or three. Oh, okay, Jesus is here. Let's expect some miracles, man. Holy Spirit here, right here. We are the we're just we're just the we're just the jar of clay that he's riding around in. He's already here. How arrogant to think that we can, does that mean he's not welcome <laughs> unless we invite him? Well, if he wasn't welcome and, and you belong to him and he lives in you, then you, you're either not saved or you don't know what you're talking about. Now, I'm not picking on anybody. I do love that song. <laughs> I've done it here. And it's powerful. Oh, Lord. So Hebrews 4.12 is talking about how the, the, the Word of God is so sharp and uh, it can divide the thoughts and intents of the heart, the, the, our motives, right? That's why we have to have a relationship with the, the Word of God so that, so that God is able to rightly divide what is us, our soul, our mind and will and emotions, and Him, the Spirit. You see, then if he will do that for us, which is what he wants to do, then we'll be able to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and and learn by practice and self-discipline, which is also a fruit of the Spirit, (laughs) to walk according to the Spirit and not the flesh. We... Wouldn't you agree that if, if, if there's something or someone that you want to be like or become, then you need to be around that thing or that person. I mean, the, the other side of the coin is that don't, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Bad company corrupts good character. Huh? We all know that. Hey, those ain't your friends. You need some new friends. Right? Right? 
We, we all know that. We've seen that in action. Well, the same thing goes the other way. You know, you want to be around. You know, you can't soar with the eagles if you're hanging around the buzzards or the turkeys, right? Same with the Word of God. This, this is Jesus without eyeballs right here. And you have to have a relationship with this thing. That's why I look around sometimes. And I, I, you know, I, I love, I mean, technology and I, and we haven't been the greatest of friends. But, uh, but I'm getting better because it's a, a necessary good thing. It's what you get, get out of it. But, but I just keep believing to see one of these under everybody's arm when they come here. And I judge them. You can use your device. But you see, the thing is, when I look, when I look at mine, I mean, you, can y'all see that? My, my granddaughter's like, why are you riding there? But when I start reading, like, I can open this, and the relationship I have with Jesus through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, I open this, and it's, I can use a scripture, like I tell you a scripture, and you go to it on your device. That's okay. That's great. You can so good at that. But you know what I see? I see the other scriptures around it. And I see the other things. And it reminds me of, you know, you're talking about the third chapter, talking about Moses and how much greater Jesus is and how we're the spiritual house. And then, and then I see how he's talking about the rest and how they didn't enter in and we need to. And I, I glance over and I see, I see the next the part of that and, and it would, all the way over the 11th verse, which you can't see on your device. You see? Where it's talking about striving to enter the rest, and and I turn the page, and I, you know, our great high priest, and and how he went through everything that we do, the tempted with everything, just didn't sin. Oh my gosh, so much greater. Order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? Well, without beginning, without end. Oh, he's so amazing. I have a relationship with this beautiful word right here. And this is the revelation of of Jesus. You see. Not just the last book of the Bible, this whole Bible. There are obstacles to us living the life of grace and faith that I preached the previous two weeks. You see? And that's what the Lord wanted me to talk about. And I just pray that it's coming through. <laughs> I've gotten so, so far off of where I thought. But... As disciples, we've been given authority over all the works of the devil. Yes. Huh? He shouldn't scare us. He shouldn't terrify us. We shouldn't brag more by just talking more about the things he's up to. We shouldn't make more of the problem than we do the promise regarding it. Because when we do, we're giving life to the problem instead of the promise. In Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to have to cut this short. Matthew chapter 17, I said... 
<laughs> this time. Matthew chapter 17. Verses 14 through 22. This is when Jesus had been up on the mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, and they call it the Mount of Transfiguration, where they saw Him in His glory. And the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And Moses was there, and Elijah, wonderful up on that mountaintop. Then they came back down to the valley, and there were all hell had broken loose, huh? Kind of like the real world. Wonderful here on the mountaintop. Real life problems and things out there. That's why we need to be strengthened in the Word and in our true identity. Amen. Because what happened was Jesus came down from the mountain and there was a, a man there with a boy who was an epileptic. Threw him into the fire and in the water and made him foam in the mouth. You know, all that sort of stuff since he was a little. And he wanted the disciples to heal him and they hadn't been able to. And that was a problem. He said, and, and he told on them right away. <laughs> I brought my boy and I told him and he said they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't heal him. And the the problem was it wasn't that they didn't have the ability to do it. Because you know why I know why? Because I don't know if you know this, but the, the gospel this is in Matthew account, chapter seventeen, but the gospel of Luke the good doctor. His is the only gospel that's chronologically written. Just so you know. So if you want to see the series of events and timing of something, you can look to Luke, the good doctor. Not the great physician, but he was a good doctor. He was a real doctor. But in Luke um, chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus had given them power and authority just as He's given all of you over all the works of the devil to cast out demons and heal the sick. Huh? That's chapter 9, verse 1 of Luke. And they, and they went out and they had great success in doing what He had commissioned them to do. They came back saying, ooh, even the devil's. Do what we say. And he said, man, don't brag on that. You should just be happy your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He said, in other words, that's nothing. That's nothing. Healing the sick. Opening blind eyes. I gave you that authority. What, why are you so amazed by that? Your salvation is the greatest miracle And then we go on, though, in Luke 9.37. So it's after that, right? After they've had great success and power and authority been given to them to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And some would say that all sickness is demonic. I'm not going to argue the point. I'll say this. I know most of it is. 
if not all. Sometimes I think we can just mistreat our bodies so much and get run down that, you know, just how dumb can you get and still walk? But Luke 9.37, it's the same account of that story, the epileptic boy. And they couldn't cast it out. Why? Well, because it says here, I want you to see in verse 20, because I'm, I'm having to cut through, because Jesus had said, how long am I going to put up with y'all? He said, give him to me. And, he, and he, he rebuked the demon and left the boy instantly. No surprise there. Right? See, that's the thing. We, Jesus can do it, but... You know, before I was saved, we used to tell people that before we'd put it on them, you know? You better give your, you better give your heart to Jesus because your butt is mine. Forgive me for that sacrilege, Lord. You know? Or Jesus will forgive you, but I'm not Jesus. We'd say stupid things like that, you see? But Jesus did it. And then he was irritated with them. And they asked him, why could we not cast it out? And in verse 20 of Matthew 17, he says, he said to them, because of your unbelief. If you have a pen and you have a Bible and it's not the King James Version and yours says little faith, cross it out. It's not sacrilege. And write unbelief at the top of the page and circle it and draw a line down to it just like I have here in every version. Because I, I love the NIV, nearly inspired version. It reads so easy. This is the English Standard Version and it's not even right on a lot of points. But the Holy Spirit will show you those things. Read whichever Bible translates into your heart. If the King James makes you not read it because of the Elizabethan theatrical language, find one you will read. And as you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, He'll begin to show you the things that you need to know that might be wrong. I guarantee it. Holy Spirit, really cool like that. Because of your unbelief, For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now listen, if, if it's because of your little faith, and then he says, if you have the tiniest faith there is, <laughs> a mustard seed of faith, he says, well how, well, how little is my faith that it's not even as big as a mustard seed? See, it's not your little faith, it's your unbelief. So make sure you note, note that. There's a reason. And then, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then in many versions, there's not a verse 21. But in the King James, there is. And then he said, this kind, because this is not in all, the, all of the, the, the transcripts or manuscripts. But Jesus said, this kind, but this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And see, there's been there are a lot of teaching that says this kind of demon, this is a tough one. We got to pray and fast, and then we'll we'll gang up on the devil, or we'll we pray and fast. We'll we'll make God do something. All that is wrong, very wrong. He's talking about unbelief. This kind of unbelief only comes out by prayer and fasting. 
Because if you have even a mustard seed of faith, or the tiny little seed, you can say to a mountain, be moved, and it will, right? So what's hindering it? The unbelief. It's like a spiritual tug of war. I'm going to just finish up here in a second, but I got to finish this because we started it, okay? So it's not a kind of a demon, it's a kind of unbelief. And prayer and fasting are, are good. You know why? Because prayer and fasting, your fasting doesn't make God do anything. What it does is it. It builds you up because it shows you, it shows your soul, your body, that it's not in control. Yeah? Because it wants to be in control. So when you fast, and it can be from food or it can be from anything, your device, I recommend. So anything that has you... Fast from it. Chocolate, a phone, a TV show, food. Show your body. You don't run things around here. The Spirit of God is in me, and my spirit is really who I am. And it's always in agreement with God. They came to Jesus. They went to town to get some food. He was out there with the, talking to the woman at the well, and, and, he, and they... He said, I have food that you don't know anything about. And they're like, where, where do you get some food? And he's talking about spiritual food. You can fast from food and feel full. I know people that say they went around burping all the time because they were so full of God. Anyway, but see, before that, they didn't even have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now... Praying in the Spirit, I believe, is you, you could have added that to verse 21. Had he already been to the cross and up. Never mind. I mean, don't never mind, but just think about that. It just gets your flesh under control. You see what I'm saying? And gets you back into faith. So can we walk in faith and unbelief at the same time? That's the question. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Matter of fact, that account of this same story in Luke chapter 9, verse 24, because he, he told Jesus, he said, if, if, you, if you can, and Jesus yelled at him. He said, if you can, he said, if I can, and there's an exclamation point there. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to turn over there because I, I would keep reading. If I can, he says, if you can believe. The, 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 the issue of me being able to is not an issue. Believe me. That's what he was telling him. The issue is, if you can believe, All things are possible to him who's believed. And, here's, and look, here's what the man said. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, 
See, that's why he brought him to them. That's why he came from wherever he did. And that's why he was ticked off the disciples couldn't do it because he heard about Jesus. And he heard about him healing the sick. And he believed, but he had some unbelief too. And it was like a spiritual tug of war going on. James 1 verses 5 through 8 says, If any man, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. You don't have to try to impress God with everything you don't know. Tell him. Ask him. You, ask, you have not because you ask not. So ask him for wisdom, he says, but let him ask in faith. In other words, when you ask God for stuff, do you believe that he's going to give it to you? Are you just a wishing and a hoping like the world wishes and a hoping instead of the hoping of the real Christian hope, which is a confident expectation of good from God? He says, but let him ask in faith without doubting, without doubting. You see that? Ask in faith with no doubting. Don't add doubt to your faith. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. You see that? What is double-minded? Faith and unbelief working simultaneously, opposing forces, pulling in opposite directions. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Oh, if you can get this. Then come and help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. Holy God. You know why I know that? You know why I'm, I'm able to say help me too? Just like that father did? Because I don't want to admit that I have unbelief. But if I didn't, nothing in my world would be the same. Everything would be. I would be moving my mountains and yours too. So I, I believe I have a strong faith. But we always need to be submitting everything in our lives to God. To that two-edged sword that is able to divide the spirit and the soul so he can expose and show us what it is that we need to submit to him so it can be changed and converted and repented of and so we can be conformed to a greater measure to the image of Jesus Christ, his son. Isaiah 29, 13. And so the Lord says, these people say they are mine, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. That's even the New Living Translation because the King James was more laborious and the New Living is so easy to read. And I have to admit, I did not know what rote meant. R-O-T-E. So I looked it up. So let me tell you again, let me read it to you like this with the definition of rote in place of rote. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by mechanical or unthinking routine or repetition, a joyless sense of order. 
They're just playing church, folks. There are four kinds, really, four main kinds of unbelief that we deal with. One is just natural. I preached on this, being carnal. Just doesn't necessarily mean sinful, but it can cause a great high degree of unbelief in our lives. Just being governed by our five senses. Then there's fear. Fear is a type of unbelief. It's faith in reverse. Faith in what the enemy can do and weak faith in what God can or will or has already done. Then there's offenses. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help us all. We want pure faith. It's not the quantity. You see that mustard seed? It's the quality, the purity. And what, what causes it to be corrupted? Unbelief. And these are some of the things it causes, just being carnal or natural, being fearful. Fear is the enemy of your faith. You need to starve your fears and feed your faith. Then offenses. Mark 4.17, Jesus talking about the parable of the soils, which we talk about often. Remember the, the rocky or stony ground that he talks about, talking about the conditions of our hearts. This is the person that when persecution or tribulation becomes because of the word, they fall away. In other words, they, they really get excited. They come and they really get excited about the word and about the Lord. And they're so happy about this new life, just like I was. And I just knew everybody was going to be so excited to hear and find out what I had found out. But then they find out that there's persecution that comes with it. And that's a promise. If, you don't, if you're not being persecuted for your faith ever, I'll put it like this. If you never run into the devil, it's because you travel in the same direction. <laughs> but they fall away. This is too hard. This is too hard, man. I went back. I tried to tell some folks about it. I, I didn't know it was going to make me unpopular. <laughs> Shoot. Heck with that. I didn't know that. I thought they'd be happy to hear about Jesus. And then unforgiveness. And this is a big one. Because it's like pride. There's so many layers and it hides itself in so many forms. Oh, I forgive them, but. Remember what I told you. Everything you say after the but is what you really believe. Oh, I forgive them. I hear this from everybody who... Listen, the, the people want me to give them the truth about God, to help them, because God has given me an office, a, an office, a ministry, and, and He's given me wisdom, and He's given me His Word and a relationship, and I can help anybody that wants God and won't, really wants His help, but what I've found is they don't really always want His help. And I'll tell them, I'll call out the problem. I saw a woman here in front of the prophet, a man of God who came all the way from Florida here, and he, he had a wonderful service that day. And he gave a lot of words to people. And I saw someone stand up, and they said, 
I just want love. And I knew, I knew because I love this person and I had been praying for them and I still do and I know what their problems are and the man of God as if he did not hear and see what she was, she was in a pity party. She, she wanted to be loved. She wanted to just poor me is what she was saying. The man of God did not hear that. I heard it and I knew where she was coming from, but I was still believing for her. And God gave her the word she needed through the man of God. He said, God is going to put his love in your heart for others. You see, she did not want to hear that. I knew right then she did not receive that. She, she folded her spiritual arms and she has not been back here to this day. Listen, folks, if you won't let God help you, He'll say, okay. He loves you. But He knows what you need. And it's not always what you want. Or you think you need. He's trying to get you free of some devil to get you to another level. Unforgiveness. Mark 11, 24 through 26. You know, I talk about this passage of Scripture all the time. Jesus said, this is where He said, believe what you, that you have what you pray for when you pray and you ha will have it. Right? We preach about that all the time and how the kingdom of God is opposite, right? You, the world says, when I see it, I'll believe it. God says, believe it, then you'll see it. But then to verse 25, we don't go that far, but this is a big thing because Jesus just kept right on. He said He's talking about praying and getting everything that you pray for. And then He said the next verse, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. This is a, such a big one. You don't hear too many people talking about that. If you do, it's in more religious settings where they're condemning and judgmental and hard. Like every time you're sick or you got something going on in your life, what have you done? You've got unforgiveness. You've got this. See, they're always blaming, accusing. Who's the accuser of the brethren? The devil. So this isn't an accusing thing. This is a, this is a trying to rightly divide spirit and soul so that God can... Lay it bare for you so he can just say, here's your issue. Will you please trust me with it? I, I want to help you with this. But you have to cast it upon me and let me have it. Get that pack off your back. You're, you're, the, you're my sheep and I love you. I don't want you carrying that load. But listen, don't say you give it to me and then really just try to manage it. I'm giving all my cares to you, Lord. Mental descent, you see? Learned religious behavior in prayer. And then, come on, Lord. I got it. I really got it. It's okay. We try to manage our pain. Manage our emotions. Manage our hurt. Instead of casting it upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So forgive. And get back into faith. Listen, I'm going to finish. Faith 
works by love. Doesn't it? Again, give all that you have to the poor and your body to be burned at the stake for God. But if it's not motivated by love, it profits you nothing. So faith can be hindered by this unbelief. See, forgiveness, unforgiveness is, is just just like being carnal or being fearful or or or, or being uh, um, being run off because you're persecuted, the fear of man, all that sort of stuff. It's just all unbelief, which is all a roadblock or a hindrance to your faith, the purity of your faith, which is what you need. See, because my just shall live by faith. Faith is the hand that reaches out and obtains hold or grabs hold and brings up from that, that holy of holies into this outer court where they can benefit you. All the promises and provision of God, you see? So you want that faith to be pure and unhindered. You don't want roadblocks and dams in that river flowing from your holy of holies through that holy place to the outer court. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. We just never finish. We just stop and start again. <laughs> we can never. How could we ever be done with you, Lord? It's just you are you are an all-consuming fire, and you are love, and you are liberty, and you are life. And Lord, we're just going to continue to press in and grow in the grace and knowledge of you as long as there is a day called today for us. We just thank you, Lord. This isn't a dress rehearsal. We thank you that that time preparing is never wasted time. And so we come to you to grow in you and to, to, to gain knowledge and wisdom and to be a blessing, Lord, because the closer we get to you, the more we will be able to help, to help heal, empower, love, and prosper those who are in need. So help us first to receive all the help that you have for us, everything you have for us and nothing else. And then let us go and help heal, empower, love, and prosper this sick and dying world. Help us to, as the salt and light of this world to get out of the salt shaker and go and, and spread the good news. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. Thank you for meeting every need of every person hearing this message, Lord. Meet them at their point of need. Meet them at their level of faith. Help them by showing them the messy areas of their lives. All of us, Lord, not in a critical or judgment or a condemning way. You love us. You are a good, good Father. And you just want to help us. Help us to know that first. To know the love that you have for us. So that we can... Because we know how people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care.